Uh, last week, the message from Luke in chapter 12 was, Beware of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, being, uh, trying to uh, make yourself out to be more than you really are, or to be higher or mightier than you really are, to be, you know, have more power than you really have. Today, we're going to continue in chapter 12. I, I said last week, there's probably going to be another message out of chapter 12. And today, it's beware of covetousness. Uh, there's also a second warning there at the end of chapter 12 about worry, that we are not to worry. So we're to beware of covetousness and a warning, a warning not to worry, not to stress and fret about things. So before we begin, let's go ahead and begin with prayer because I have a feeling I'm going to be starting to preach through this as I work my way through it. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and magnify you. We thank you for your presence in our lives each and every day through your amazing Holy Spirit. Father, as we just sang, pour your Spirit out upon us. May your Spirit be poured out and just flowing through us, Lord, like a river, Father God, and it would flow to those around us, Father, that they would experience your love through your people, through those that are your children. And Father, we again just pray that you would just anoint the word today, and I just pray that every word that goes forth, Father, would be for your glory, for your honor, that it would, uh, would reach fertile ground, Father God, and it would just burst forth and produce a great harvest for your kingdom, Father. That's what it's all about, glorifying you and lifting up your name and bringing others into your kingdom, Father God. And I just pray that you would use us and use all of the churches, Lord, today that are sharing forth your word and proclaiming your name. And Father, just pray that you would be glorified and that your son would be lifted on high. We thank you again for your righteousness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that our souls are well because of the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And again, I just thank you for all things and just bless us, Father, even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 37. Then one from the crowd. If you remember last week's message, they said that there was an innumerable multitude. So there was a great multitude of people listening to Jesus' teaching. So he's still teaching the people. So one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, so he's not speaking just to the man now, he's speaking to the crowd. He said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now I'm going to pause again. I'm going to tell you that that is probably the most important sentence for this entire message today. The most important sentence in the important verse and all of it. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Remember that. I'm sure by the end of this service you'll, you'll have that in your mind. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds good, doesn't it? Eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Can you see how those two verses go together? Life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So again... Our life does not consist in the abundance of the things we possess. It's not about the food. It's not about what we're going to be clothed with. Life is more important than those things. He says, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Hear that, friends. You are more valuable than all the birds on the earth. How much more valuable are you than the ravens? You are much more valuable. God loves you dearly. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I say to you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. And then God, if God... So clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. How much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? So He's saying, trust Me. Trust Me to clothe you. Trust Me to feed you. Have faith. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God. I'm going to add a little bit there. And leave the rest up to Him. Seek the kingdom of God and leave all the rest of stuff up to Him. Because it says, And all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he returns from the wedding, that when he, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master when he comes will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. What a wonderful ending to that. Blessed are those who wait on the Lord. For when he comes and he finds them waiting, has their lamps burning. There's a, it's like the one of the, the, uh, those waiting on the bridegroom, the, the ten bri- or bridesmaids waiting on the bridegroom. There were five that were wise and five that were foolish. We need to be wise in waiting for Him, looking for Him. Covetousness has been defined as an unquenchable thirst for getting more and more and more of something that we think we need because we think that this is going to bring bring us true satisfaction. It's going to bring us happiness and joy. 
You know, it can be a thirst for more money. Or it could be a thirst for more of the things that money can buy us. It could be a thirst for power or position. But it's just the thirst for more. Wanting, always wanting more. More and more and more. It's not being satisfied with what we have. When we are called to be content with what the Lord has given us. I found an illustration and I'm not sure if I've ever used this before. I may have, I don't know. But it says a very wealthy businessman, an American businessman it says, he decided to take a small vacation to a tropical island in the South Pacific. He had worked hard all of his life and has decided that now is the time to enjoy the fruits of his labor. He's very excited about visiting this island because he heard that the fishing there is absolutely incredible. And he remembers as a young child he liked to fish, though he hasn't had much time to fish for many years because he'd been so busy working and saving for retirement. So on the first day of his visit there to the island, he has his breakfast. He's not in a big hurry. Well, he heads down for the docks, and it's around 9.30. And once he gets there, he spots a fisherman coming in with a large stringer of fish, a very large stringer. Well, he asked the man, he says, how long did you fish for? The fisherman looks at the businessman with a wide grin as he explains, I only fish for about three hours. I fish for about three hours every day. Well, the businessman asked him, well, why did you return so quickly? It's only 9.30 in the morning. Oh, don't worry, says the fisherman. He says, there's still plenty of fish out there. Well, kind of dumbfounded, the businessman asked the fisherman, why didn't he continue to catch more fish? Well, the fisherman patiently explained to the man, he says, I caught all that I need. He says, I'll spend the rest of my day playing with my family, talking with my friends. I may drink a little wine. After that, I might even relax on the beach. Well, the businessman figured that he needed to teach this peasant fisherman a thing or two. So he explained to him that he should stay out all day, catch more fish, he could save up that extra money and buy a bigger boat. Then he could even reinvest those profits and buy more boats. He could hire more men to work for him. And then in 20 or 30 years, he'll be very rich indeed. The businessman is very pleased that he's helped teach this fellow something he thought he needed to know. But the fisherman looked at the businessman with a puzzled look on his face and he asked, Well, after I become very rich, then what? The businessman responded, well, he said, then you can spend some time with your family, talk with your friends, might drink a little wine, on the, and then maybe go relax on the beach. To which the fisherman, as you know, replied, well, isn't that what I'm doing now? But he thought he needed more and more and more. Back to Luke. The man in the crowd wanted Jesus to speak to his brother. He wanted to tell him to divide up the inheritance with him. It could have been that the father had died and left an inheritance and probably was the older brother that he was wanting to Jesus to intercede with and tell him to share the inheritance. He's probably what we would call today the power of eternity. He had control over the inheritance. And apparently this brother thought he didn't get his fair share or maybe he didn't get any. I don't know. But why would he ask Jesus to help with this problem? Because in those days... Rabbis were expected to help settle legal matters among families or among neighbors. But as we can see, Jesus did not get involved with this man's problem. Instead, Jesus saw this 
as an amazing teaching moment for the entire crowd. A wonderful teaching moment because he shared the parable that spoke of the real issue between these brothers. It wasn't the issue of how much inheritance you got. It was the issue of the heart. You know, Jesus often talks about money. Money or possessions. He talks about it often in the Scripture. You know, he shared the, the prodigal son. That message was about, or that parable was about, a young man wanting his inheritance. Father, give me my inheritance now. So he takes that inheritance, and we know what happens. He goes and he squanders it. And then he regrets what he's done, and he comes back to his father and asks for forgiveness. And we know that the father received him. There's the parable of the wicked servant that owed his master probably the equivalent of a million dollars. And he begs for mercy. And he has mercy on him. But then that wicked servant goes out and finds another servant that owes him maybe $50. And he had him beaten and thrown in prison until he could pay it back. So Jesus often uses money or finances or things to get the point across. And in those cases, it was a matter of the heart. He knew that both men were greedy, and he knew that his intervention would not satisfy either man. The one wouldn't be happy to give it up, and the other one still wouldn't be happy with what he got. Their greatest need was a change of heart. Their greatest need was to realize that life doesn't consist of the abundance of the things we possess. You know, many people may call the farmer in Jesus' parable a very wise man, saying, wow, this farmer was really blessed. He was really blessed. A wise man, he, he planted an abundant crop and was able to harvest an abundance of things. He's a very wise man to build big barns to store up. Now it's time to relax and enjoy life, right? You know, Americans are often painted as people that has a great abundance of things. And for the most part, that is true. Americans do have a great abundance of things. As a matter of fact, Americans have so much stuff that many people have to go out and rent storage units to put it all. Because we just have too much stuff to put in our homes. There are more than 52,000 storage facilities in America. No, I'm not talking about 52,000 little single units. I'm talking about the facilities that have many units. So there's 52,000 storage facilities in the United States. So we do have a lot of stuff. There's no doubt about it. And friends, I'll say this. It is absolutely not a sin to be wealthy. You know, many of the men in the Bible were very wealthy men. Many of the righteous men in Scripture were very wealthy men. Abraham was wealthy. Solomon, of course, very, very wealthy. David was wealthy. But the problem with wealth and the things is whenever we make them more important in our lives than God. When they push God out of our lives, that's when the problem comes. That's the real problem. That's the root of the problem. I want to reread verses 17 through 19. And I want you to listen to the personal pronouns in this passage. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. 
and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Did anybody count? Eleven. Eleven times he used I or my. We live in a society today, when you watch advertisement, I don't care if you're watching commercials on TV or listening to the radio and the commercials on radio or magazines or newspapers or billboards, they are all trying to get you to buy what they have to sell. Be it new cars, be it makeup, be it whatever. They're trying to get you to buy. They're trying to get you to believe that you need what they have. That's the entire purpose of the advertisement. That you need what they have to sell. And they play with our desires. Oh, well that looks good. I'd look good in that new car. I'd look good with all that jewelry. But the greatest snare that can come with prosperity is again when it leaves no room for God in our lives. Where we make that our goal. When that becomes our goal. We'll build bigger barns. We'll have more stuff. We'll use storage units if we have to to hold all of our stuff that we gather up. Matthew 13, 22 says, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. It's when we have so much stuff that it chokes out the word of God, it chokes out God's presence in our lives. So what's the answer? The only trustworthy answer, of course, can be found in the Scriptures. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 12, and then 17 through 19. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world... And it is certain we can take nothing, carry nothing out. We brought nothing in and we will carry nothing out when we leave this world. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money... It did not say that money is evil. It's not going to say that. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. So we as believers, what are we to pursue? We are to pursue righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Then verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they... Be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, 
storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Hallelujah. We are to store up for that, that life which is to come. It's not about whether you're rich or whether you're poor, but it's what you are pursuing, what you are doing, what you are doing with what God has given you. When Jesus finished the parable of the rich man in Luke, Chapter 12, he told the disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. Do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about the body. Don't worry about what you put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. The Greek meaning of worry is a state of disturbance from care and anxiety. It is to fret about things. You know, the disciples had given up everything to follow Jesus. They left their businesses or their careers to follow Jesus. They would go from, you know, when he sent the 70 out, what did he tell them? Go into this town and whatever house you enter, you stay there and you eat whatever they put before you. So the disciples and Jesus would travel from town to town and they would eat whatever was put before them. They'd stay from whatever house they could find hospitality in, right? So they were living by faith. And my friends, faith is always tested. So are we willing to live by faith? Uh, this past week at Bible study, Rosanna started talking about George Mueller. I said, wait, 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 you can't talk about him. There's a, you know, George Mueller was a Christian missionary. He lived from 1805 to 1898. He was an evangelist and he was a coordinator of orphanages in Bristol, England. An amazing man of God. A man that trusted God with everything. Everything. He trusted God to provide for himself, for the, 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 the orphans and the, all the orphanages over there. Well, one morning, <clears throat> they woke up and all the kids were dressed and all the kids were ready for school, but they had a problem. There was no food in the orphanage that morning. The house mother of the orphanage came and told George of the problem. He said, there's no food, George. There's no food to feed the children. So George told the house mother, he said, I want you to take all 300 children, take them into the dining room, have them sit down at the tables. George came in, had the blessing. He thanked God for the food that they were about to receive. And he waited. George knew, George Mueller knew that God would provide for these children, as he always did. Within minutes, there was a knock at the door. George went to the door and opened it up, and the baker's there. He says, Mr. Mueller, he says, last night I could not sleep. He said, somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. He said, so I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. So he brings all the bread in for the children. Soon after that, there's another knock at the door. George goes to the door and opens it up. There's the milkman. The milkman says, George, my cart broke down right in front of your orphanage. He said, the axle's broken. He said, and by the time I get someone here to help with it, he said, the milk's going to spoil. He said, so I'm going to bring it in and it's for you and the kids. So he brings in enough milk for all 300 children. So they had bread and they had milk for that day. His faith was tested. He trusted God to provide. He didn't fret about it. He didn't worry about it. He trusted God. And God proved Himself as He always did. Jesus said, God cares for His creation. 
He makes the flowers beautiful, doesn't He? My friends, it's springtime. Look out. Doesn't He make the flowers beautiful? The grass is so green. He cares for the unclean ravens. Provides for them. So don't you think that He cares for you and will provide for you? You are His children. Surely, He will feed and clothe His children. Trust in Him today. Trust in Him to provide and be content with what He provides. How can we as believers, how can we as a Christian witness to the world, worry and fret? Why should we worry and fret? We should not worry and fret because the world's looking at us. My friends, even these times that we are in, times that we've never experienced before in our lifetime, I know there's been pandemics in the past. We have never lived through something like this. Should we be worrying and fretting and, and scared about what's going on? No. We should trust God. Trust in God and not worry. How can we overcome worry? Well, the first step, of course, is to realize that God knows our needs. Do you know that? I'll ask that. I know I can't hear you, but do you know that? Do you know that God knows your needs? He knows your every need. Then secondly, we trust Him to meet it. Just as God knew that those children needed bread, God knew that those children needed milk, George trusted Him. Do we trust Him? Do we trust Him to provide our every need? We are the sheep of His flock. We are the children of His family. He will see to it that our needs are met. But if our hearts are fixed on the things of the world, if our hearts are fixed on getting more and more and more, then we are going to have worry and anxiety because we think we don't have enough. Philippians 4, 6-9 through 9 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if, any, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. What a, what a wonderful word. When we meditate on these things, look to these things, then the peace of God will fill our hearts. Will fill our hearts. According to Jesus, to seek and to worry about the things of the world is foolishness. It's foolishness. What did He say in the parable? But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So if we work our entire lives just trying to get more and more and more, it's going to be left to our family, or if we have no family, left to whomever. It's all for naught, right? To be rich, for, rich towards God is to acknowledge gratefully that every single thing we have is a gift from Him. 
and is to make every effort to use what we have from Him for the good of others and for the good of His kingdom. Wealth and prosperity, friends, can be enjoyed and employed at the same time. It can be enjoyed and it can be employed for His kingdom, for His good, for His people. Amen? It shouldn't be about I and me and my, but about Him and His. Proverbs 30, 7-9 says, Two things I request of you. Deprive me, <clears throat> deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Lord, provide me just what I need. You know, men kind of fall into two categories. Men will either be lovers of themselves and only care about their own needs and be covetous, or they will be men of truth. They will be haters of covetousness, and they will be righteous men. As I was reading this week, I found a story in the Old Testament that goes very well with today's message. David doesn't have that because it was after I sent the scripture. In Joshua chapter 6 and in Joshua chapter 7, it's a story of the children of Israel marching around Jericho. We all remember that story, even as a child, right? Remember that wonderful story? The children of Israel were told to go and march around Jericho for seven days. For six days, they were told to march around one time. And they marched around, they were to be silent, they are not to say anything. So they march around the city the first day, and they sit down. They march around the city the second day, and so on and so on, for six days. But the seventh day, they are told, I want you to march around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, you are to shout, and the walls came tumbling down. I know we all know that story. There's more to that story. God told them in Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. He says, And you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed. So when he told them when he goes in, stay away, don't take. Once the city comes crumbling down and you go get the booty, stay away from the accursed things. And make a camp of... Because if, all right, <clears throat> let me start over. Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So they're to take the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron. They're to take that, but it's only for the treasury of the Lord. Once Jericho is destroyed. Chapter 7 begins with, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabadi, the son of Zerah, of the house of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So they had victory over Jericho through the power of God, but Achan took of the accursed things. So after this, the children of Israel are going to go up against Ai. So they take plenty of men, I don't remember how many, they take the men to go up against Ai, well, the Lord wasn't with them because he had sinned against the Lord's command. 
So they had to flee the Amorites. They chased after them and 36 men were killed. They, uh, and so Joshua tore his clothes. You know, he's all upset because God wasn't with him. Then God reveals to him, you have cursed. You have taken of the accursed things, so I am not with you. I'm not going to be with you when you go to battle. So he tells them to bring the tribes in, to bring the people in, to find out who took of the accursed things. So finally, Achan comes before Joshua. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing fifty shekels, I coveted them, and took them, and they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with the silver underneath it. Achan says, I just couldn't help myself, basically. I coveted those things that I saw. He coveted. He wanted more. And the Lord says, He coveted, but He also stole. Because those things were to go into the treasury of the Lord. So also, we are not to covet it, but we are not to steal from what is supposed to be God's. We are to give God what is rightly His, and we are not to covet the riches and the treasures of the world. So I think that story fits very well with beware of covetousness. So they took Achan and his family and all their belongings, took them outside of the city and stoned them to death. And piled all of his goods on there and they, piled, and they burned it and piled stones on top of it. And they said that heap is there to the day because they disobeyed God and coveted that which he should not have touched, should have left it there. We are not to covet and long for the things of the world, but we are to trust in God and know that He will provide all of our needs. All of our needs. It may not be that we get the proper feet up and relax and eat, drink, and be merry. That's not a bad thing once in a while. We all need a little break, but I don't think that's what life is about, is it? That's not what our life is meant to be about. Our life does not consist in the abundance of the things that we have. But our life is to consist of righteousness, godliness, and doing God's work and God's plan and His will for our lives. May we be faithful to Him, faithful to serve Him, and faithful to trust in Him to provide what we need. May we be faithful to trust in Him to give us peace in a time of a pandemic that the world will see that, hey, they're not worried, they're not fretting. Why is that? Why are we so scared? And those Christians, look at them, they're confident. Our confidence, my friends, is in God. Not our abilities, but in God and God alone. Amen?